this, this great big 52 back here, as you know, is kind of the theme for this year. We're tapping into Nehemiah and the wall building that he did in 52 days. 52 days. We're taking 52 days, 52 Sundays uh, of this year to rebuild some walls. And one of those is the wall of prayer. We're doing that this whole first quarter. So the month of March, the entire month of March, I'll be dealing with this issue of prayer. And then we will go into another uh, wall that we're going to rebuild. And um, later on in the year, you'll be hearing from more of the staff because uh, when we get to the wall of evangelism, I've already talked to uh, Brother Roger, Pastor Roger, about that evangelism. And uh, uh, we, we've got a staff member that's loaded for bear when it comes to evangelism. And uh, you're going to enjoy hearing from him a little bit later on. And uh, we're, just, we're just excited. But today, I want to begin, and I, I'm going to take four Sundays to deal with three things related to prayer. The why, why should we pray, uh, which I'll deal with this morning. And then when should we pray and how should we pray? I hope to answer those three questions uh, this month. Let's turn, if you will, to James chapter 5, or look on the screen if you'd like when they get that up there. Um, my text is James chapter 5, verse 16, that says, reading from the New King James, Confess your trespasses to the, one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. How many of you still believe in healing? Amen. You believe God heals? Absolutely. Look at this. Here's a profound statement made by James. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Would you join me in prayer? Father, I come before this congregation today so keenly aware of our inability to do anything effective without you. So I pray for the anointing of the Holy Spirit today. And Lord, let these words go beyond our ears. Let them reach our hearts. Holy Spirit, do your work today. And may Jesus be glorified in Christ's name. Amen. There's a lot of power in the world. A lot of power that you can tap into. There was a chemist and a physicist by the name of Ernest Rutherford who was born on August the 30th in 1817 in Spring Grove, New Zealand. He was a pioneer in nuclear physics. And uh, he was the first to split the atom. Rutherford was awarded in 1908 the Nobel Peace Prize in Chemistry for the theory of atomic structure. He's dubbed as the father of the nuclear age. And Rutherford died in Cambridge, England in 1937 on October the 19th. But when, when he managed to split the atom, uh, it, it was a phenomenon that literally changed the whole world. Um, something so small microscopically small and yet when he was able to split it created an energy that multiplied so many more times more than anything man had ever been able to structure discover or produce in times past in fact as a result of that we have 
weapons of mass destruction. We have bombs that are, that are in places of protection. Enough bombs in two nations alone that we could destroy the earth. I understand somewhere between three and five times over which seems to me very irrelevant because if you've destroyed it once it's destroyed but that's the energy what I'm saying the energy and the power is magnificent now that's speaking of that power in a destructive way but it's also been used in a constructive way in fact um, the the Navy, for example, has used, you'll, you'll see a picture here. Look at all those airplanes on the deck of that uh, carrier. It, that picture was made in 1964 during a record-setting voyage of 26,540 nautical miles around the world in 65 days and didn't have to refuel. Can you imagine? That's the power of nuclear energy. Can you imagine how many tankers it would have taken to refuel and refuel and refuel and refuel a ship to make that kind of voyage, 26,000 miles, and yet they didn't have to refuel a single time because it's powered with nuclear energy. We have nuclear power plants in our area. Some of you are familiar with Vogel. Perhaps you've been out there. I remember when they started building Vogel. And I'd ride out there and look at that. Some of you work at Vogel. And, and one plant like Vogel has the ability with nuclear power to, to supply the power, electrical power needs of entire cities for hundreds of thousands of people. That's magnificent, isn't it? But I want to talk to you this morning about a power that is greater than even nuclear power. In fact, it's a power that's greater than any power man has ever tapped into or that man knows anything about. And it is the power of prayer. And every one of us sitting here this morning has it at our disposal and we can use it if we'll just learn how. Amen? The power of prayer. Let me give you a couple quick examples of the power of prayer. First of all, I go to the Old Testament in the book of Second Chronicles, chapters 6 and 7. I'm not going to read those chapters because they're very long chapters, especially chapter 6. But let me give you a little background. This prayer is a prayer that Solomon prayed on the day that he dedicated the temple in Jerusalem. Solomon's temple was the wonder of the world in its day. In fact, people from all over the world came to the dedication service of that temple. Everybody in the world wanted to see it. It was the most magnificent structure that had ever been built. The Illinois Society of Architecture says that it would cost $87 billion, with a B, billion dollars, to reproduce Solomon's temple as it was on the day of its dedication. A marvelous, marvelous building. They had a, a week-long celebration as they dedicated the temple, and day after day there was great pageantry and great... Uh, it, it was just a magnificent thing. And like I said, there were people there from all over the known world. Leaders from all the known nations were there to see the dedication of the temple. But somewhere during that ceremony, Solomon 
who was um, uh, recognized as the builder of that great temple, Solomon stopped the whole process. He said, hold it. You're spending too much time talking about Solomon here. And I want you to know that the one that we're dedicating this temple to is the one that needs to be recognized here. And I'm just going to stop everything and have a word of prayer. And when Solomon said a word of prayer, (laughs) that whole sixth chapter and seventh chapter, and you just read and read and read the prayer that Solomon prayed in 2 Chronicles. He had had the the carpenters to construct a six-foot-three-high platform for him to climb up on. Now, this is, I'll use my imagination a little bit if it's okay, because the Scripture doesn't give this detail. You understand the Scripture couldn't give all the details about everything. Uh, If if it did, the Bible would be so big you couldn't carry it in here. So um, sometimes I have to add some details that, that writers left out. And this, 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 don't take this as scripture. This is just my imagination. Here's what I think happened. I think when Solomon stopped and got ready to pray, uh, brother, brother Charles, I think he took off his robe and I think he just uh, threw it across his throne. And I think he took off his crown and just kind of uh, put it there on the corner of that. And then he climbed up on that six foot three inch tall scaffolding and he got out on that platform that they built for him and he got down on his knees and he started praying. And folks, if you want to read a prayer, you read Solomon's prayer. And starting in chapter 6, he prayed for everything you could think of. First thing he did, he praised the Lord for a while. And he praised the Lord until he sensed when his prayer had reached the throne of glory. He, He felt it. I've been asked before, how do you know when you pray through? And I tell people, nobody has to tell you when you pray through. You just know when you pray through. You just know. And Solomon prayed until his prayer went up through that ceiling and went out through the sky and went up through the stratosphere and the ionosphere and went into the third heaven and reached the throne of God. And there was a connection. There's always a connection when you pray through. You say, how do you know? Well, I'm told that if, um, if you were to take a violin and walk back to the far corner of the church here, and if you had a piano, not an electronic keyboard, but a piano with strings, you understand what I'm saying? A, a big uh, grand piano. If you had a big piano sitting up here, and if that piano was in tune and that violin was in tune, the violinist could stand back there and strum, um, let, let's say he hits a G, and, and, and strum that on that violin, that the G string on this piano up here would vibrate. There's that kind of connection in, in, the, in the sound and the airwaves and the musical notes. And, and that's the way it is with your prayer. When it reaches the throne of God, something resonates right in here. Amen. You just know that you know that you know that you prayed through. And Solomon knew he'd prayed through. And so when he prayed through, he started offering his request. And buddy, when I tell you he prayed for everything, read it. He prayed for everything. 
He prayed for prosperity. He prayed for healing. He prayed for blessings. He prayed for favor on the battlefield if uh, enemies came against them, that if they turned towards the temple and prayed that God would give them the victory on the battlefield. He, he prayed that if there was a, a time of drought, if they would turn towards the temple and pray that God would open the windows of heaven and give rain. He prayed for everything you could think of. He even prayed for us. He, here, here's the part of a prayer. He was, he's just about to finish up, and he just stopped, and he must have thought about us. He said, uh, he's, oh, yeah, by the way, Lord, a little P.S. on this prayer. He said, uh, I've prayed for all the Jews and all Jerusalem and all the sons and daughters of Abraham uh, throughout the ages, but, Lord, if there be some Gentiles that happen to hear about the great God Jehovah, and they believe in you, and, and they turn towards this temple and pray, I want you to hear them when they pray and answer Anybody glad you're in that prayer? Amen. Here's, here's the powerful part. When Solomon prayed through, the presence of God came down so strong in that temple that the priests fell out. They couldn't even get close to the altar. They were trying to get to the altar to, to, to continue with the ceremony. But they, they, they were just slain in the spirit. They couldn't even get to the altar. And everybody had to back away from the altar because the presence of God was so strong. <laughs> Old Solomon got down off of that platform, backed away from the place himself. And, and suddenly the fire of God hit that altar. And Solomon had brought a pretty good offering to the altar that morning. He, he was he was very liberal in his giving. His offering was several million dollars. By the way, if anybody here feels led to give such an offering this morning, you, you just come on while I'm preaching. It won't disturb me at all. Just bring it up here and lay it on the altar. He, he, had, that, he had that offering worth about some better than $3 million he had there on the altar. And the fire of God came down and consumed the altar and the sacrifice. And it went up before God like a sweet-smelling savor in, in, the, in the nostrils of Almighty God. And, and the place was just electrified with the Spirit and the presence of God. And back to my imagination now, all of that's scriptural, but back to my imagination. Solomon grabs his, grabs his crown. I think he probably just stuck it up there on his head, maybe cocked it, who knows. Grabbed his robe. I think he probably just threw it across his shoulder. And he turned to the priest and he said, or to whoever was out there that was still standing, said, when, when these guys are able to, to get up again, you tell them to go ahead with the service. I'm going to the house. He was tired. And so he went over to the palace and he went to bed and went to sleep, sound asleep. And a little while, the Lord that had come down in fire at the temple in the dedicatorial service went over to the palace where Solomon was asleep and walked right through the main gate and right through the front door and right down to the master bedroom suite and walked in and tapped old Solomon on the shoulder and woke him up. And he said, Solomon... I heard you when you were praying over there at the temple. I just wanted you to know I heard you. And and listen, folks, you, you've heard this verse of Scripture over and over and over, especially the last few years. It's, it's blessed and, and probably saved nation after nation when they've obeyed it through the years. And here's where it came from. Second Chronicles seven fourteen. God said to Solomon, Solomon, when you get back to the temple next Sabbath, Here's what I want you to tell the people. You tell the people that if my people, which are called by my name, 
will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I'll hear from heaven. I'll forgive their sins and I'll heal their land. A promise that we still have today. Amen. Glory to God. I'm talking about the power of prayer, the power of prayer. In my text this morning, I read from James chapter 5, I read verse 16, but if you go to the next verse, you see another powerful prayer. It says, Elijah was a man subject to like passions as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it rained not upon the earth for the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heavens gave forth their rain. And the earth was blessed. Praise the Lord. Can you, listen, listen, this is a man. And, and the scripture is very careful so that we don't idolize these people and put them on a pedestal that they don't deserve and think that there's something special beyond what we can achieve. James is very careful to tell us that Elijah was just like you and me. He, he was a man just like us. He, he just like you and me, brother Tony. He just one of us. He just he just he just a man. But he had such power in prayer that he was able to lock the heavens for 3 years and 6 months so it wouldn't rain to give testimony to the world in his day that God is God and not those Baal gods that they'd been serving and worshiping. Amen. <clears throat> And then he prayed again, and the heavens were opened, and they gave forth their rain. Wow, the power of prayer. Folks, we have a power at our disposal that's greater than we ever imagined, and we need to take advantage of it. Amen? Um, look at the ministry of Jesus. Look at the things that he did. Uh, you remember one time he took five loaves and two fishes and fed 5,000 men? Not counting the women and children, most people believe that crowd was about 20,000 in number that day. And he did that with five loaves and two fishes. But how many remember what he did right before he broke that bread and gave it? You remember what he did? He looked up into heaven and he prayed. And then he broke the bread and gave it to his disciples and they gave it to the people. And they were fed and they were fed until everybody said, that's enough, I can't, I can't eat another fish fillet sandwich, I'm sorry, I've, I've had all I can take, I had all I can take, all I can take. And, and they, there was 12 basketfuls of food left over. The power of prayer. Jesus prayed. Let me tell you how valuable prayer was in the life of Jesus. The disciples <clears throat> had been with Jesus. In fact, they, they followed his ministry very carefully and very closely for three and a half years. And they, they knew, they saw the secret of the power in the ministry of Jesus. Remember, they saw him heal the sick. They saw him cast out devils. They saw him feed the thousands. They saw him walk on water. They saw him turn water into wine. They saw him raise the dead. They saw him cast out devils. They, they, they saw him, all of these mighty miracles that Jesus did. And they knew from traveling with him and watching his ministry up close where that power came from. And so they said to Jesus one day, Lord, teach us. Anybody know what? Teach us to pray. They, they didn't, isn't it interesting? They didn't say, Jesus, teach us to work miracles. 
They didn't say, Jesus, teach us to preach like you preach, where thousands and tens of thousands are drawn to your ministry. No, 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 no. They said, teach us to pray. And the reason for that is they knew that the secret of everything he did was his communion with the Heavenly Father. In fact, he told them that. He said, I don't do anything except what I hear my Father do. Now, here's, that's a profound question. If they'll put that up, up on the screen, that Jesus, that, that they asked Jesus. Uh, so I asked this question, why did Jesus pray? Why did he pray? Now, I, as I was thinking of that, I, I started thinking about, well, why do we pray? And, and I made a little short list. It could be much longer. Sometimes we pray to get understandings. Anybody ever pray and ask the Lord? You know, you may be going through something you don't understand. You ask the Lord for some revelation, a little understanding. Sometimes we pray for understanding. Many times, this is perhaps the biggest reason that most of us pray is to get our needs met. You ever ask God for something? Sure you do. We want our needs met. And, and so we, we go before the Lord with petitions to get our needs met. Uh, maybe we pray to be holy. In other words, we realize our own shortcomings and our faults and failures, and we pray, and Lord, help me to be more like you. Or perhaps we pray for more power. Have you ever prayed for that? Lord, give me, give me the power, the strength to get through this situation, whatever. Now, when I looked at the list that I was making, suddenly it occurred to me, that none of these reasons applied to Jesus when he prayed. Look, look, leave that list up there just a minute. Look back at that. Why would Jesus pray for understanding? He was omniscient. He knew all things. They said that to him one time. Yeah, you, you know all things, you know. So he wouldn't pray for understanding. Why would he pray to have his needs met? My goodness, folks, I just told you he multiplied five loaves and two fishes and fed 20,000 people. He didn't, he didn't have to pray for his needs to be met. Did, why would he pray to be holy? He's God the Son, the incarnate Son of God in the flesh. He's already holy. Amen. In fact, before the throne of God right now, there are seraphims that are praying and, and, and saying to Jesus, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. He is holy. Pray for more power. Why would he pray for more power? He was omnipotent. That means almighty, all-powerful. He could do anything. He's God. He's more powerful. So, so none of those things, uh, uh, they just don't apply. So why did Jesus pray? I remember, he's our example in all things. I have to give you a quick historical perspective. So let me take you back to the book of Genesis chapter 1. Verses 26 to 28. Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. Then God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Notice the word dominion here. Very, very, very important. Now, I want you to understand the difference between ownership and dominion. 
God made the heavens and the earth. They all belong to him. One writer said the heavens declare the, the glory of God. The firmament shows forth his handiwork. Day into day utter speech, night into night. And, and so God owns the whole thing. One writer said he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Somebody else said, yes, he owns the hills on, under the cattle on a thousand hills. He's God. He owns it all. But when he made man, he gave man dominion. Now, understand, I don't have time to go into all that the fall affected, and I, but I know that the fall affected many things. But it did not change the fact that God made man a free moral agent and gave to man the power of choice that was never taken from us. We have the power to choose. <clears throat> so in that area, we have dominion. Now, God owns the world, but we have dominion. Now, later what was lost in the falls restored through Christ, and, and the culmination of that it will happen when he comes again, the, the total completion of that. We still live in, in bodies and face a lot of the things of the fallen world, and all that's going to be changed. But, but again, let's get back to this thing of dominion. <clears throat> now, I want you to understand the difference in in, in ownership and dominion so so you can see what jesus prayed about and why he prayed and why it's important for us today let me illustrate by saying um at some point in time um during our lives our two sons after they married and moved away have come back to live with us for a short time for whatever reason maybe while they were waiting on their house to get built or whatever but uh, but my two sons and their, their families have come and lived with us for a short time. Now, when they came to live with us, we were, uh, of course, thrilled that they came. You're all, there's two things that you're thrilled about with your grown children. You're, you're thrilled when they come and you're thrilled when they go. And, uh, <clears throat> and, and so it, what a blessing, you know. So, but, but when they came to live with us, Faye and I designated a certain area of the house that was theirs. This, this is your bedroom right here. This is your bathroom right here. This, this is yours. Now, I own the house. I, I work and make the payments. It's mine. I got a right to go in any room in my house anytime I get good and ready. But while my kids lived in my house, I'm talking about my grown kids now. I'm not talking about when they were little. Don't, don't, don't let your kids come home and tell them the preacher said they have dominion over their room, stay out. Yeah. <clears throat> I'm talking about my grown, my grown kids. I gave them dominion over a certain area of my house. That means that if I wanted to enter that bedroom that I had given them dominion over, I would never just walk in the room. I would knock on the door and ask permission to come in their room. You know why? I gave them dominion. Now, did I have to do that? Certainly not. It's my house. I pay the payments. I'm paying the insurance and the taxes and all that other stuff. I can open that door anytime I get good and ready. I could kick a door down if I wanted to. It's my house. But you give them dominion and you respect that. God, if he wanted you, could make you do anything. You, you understand that, don't you? God's omnipotent. 
God, God, God could speak from heaven this morning and say to you, everybody in here, when the preacher gives the altar call this morning, every one of you go to that altar. And I'm going to see that you do it. And, and when I give the altar call, if you didn't get up, God could. If he wanted to pick you up by the seat of the pants and throw you right here in this altar. He's God. He can do anything. But I rest assured he won't do that. And let me tell you why he won't do that. He won't do that because he's given you some dominion. He's given you the power to choose. You can accept God. You can reject God. You can do it. It's all up to you. And so now let me get back to this thing of prayer. And I think it'll start to make sense in just a minute. Here it is. I want you to get this if you miss everything else that I say this morning. I want you to get this. They're going to put it on the screen. Prayer is giving God permission in the area of your dominion. Let me read that again. Prayer is giving God permission in the area of your dominion. Have you got it? Say it with me one time. Prayer is giving God permission in the area of your dominion. Let me illustrate from the life of Jesus. <clears throat> I apologize. It's been a long time. My throat's not used to this. Prayer, in essence, is bringing God into the dominion of man. God won't violate that. He has to be invited in. So let's look, first of all, at the Lord's Prayer. Remember I told you a while ago the disciples asked Jesus, said, Would you teach us to pray? Teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. They knew the secret of his power. Would you just teach us to pray? And so Jesus taught, him to, taught them to pray. You'll find it in Matthew chapter 6. You can start reading there. It's beginning about verse 9. But uh, you're familiar with it. Here's the way the Lord's Prayer starts. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Remember that? The prayer begins by giving God praise and recognizing who he is. The first thing that Jesus taught us to pray for, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's inviting God into the area of our dimension, dominion. We're saying, Father, the door's open. Come on in. Let me take you to an illustration of this in the life of Jesus when he prayed it. He taught his disciples to pray it, and he lived it. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prayed. You'll find it in Matthew 26, Mark 14, and Luke 22, if you'd like to read about us. This was one of the most prayers filled with pathos that you'll ever read. Jesus... On the night he was betrayed, took bread and broke it and gave it to his disciples and then gave them the cup and instituted the, what we refer to as the Lord's Supper or communion. He instituted that ordinance that we go through to show his death until he returns. And after the communion service, they sang a hymn and then they went out to Gethsemane, to the Mount of Olives. 
And Jesus, when he entered into the Mount of Olives, he left some of his disciples here, most of them, in fact, all but three. And he took Peter, James, and John with him a little further. And they, they went on into the garden a little further. And then he said to them, I want you to tarry here and watch with me while I go yonder and pray. And Jesus went forward into the garden and knelt beneath the old wine press in the shadow of the old wine press and began to pray. And he prayed and he prayed and he prayed and he prayed. His heart was heavy. He was weeping as he prayed. And, and he prayed until his garments were soaked with perspiration. I mean, he's now agonizing in prayer. And, and he prayed until in, in such agony that capillaries began to burst and, and the sweat took on a purplish hue and like great drops of blood began to drop from his body to the ground. And here was his prayer. He said, Father, I know that I came into this world for this time. The crucifixion. But Father, this, this flesh, this body that you put me in, that I'm, I've become incarnate in, this, this flesh is weak. And this flesh is drawing back from the suffering of the cross. And I, I don't want to go through the agonies of Calvary. And Father, if there's any way possible to let this cup pass from me, would, would, would you do it? Is there any other way? And by the way, listen to me this morning. By the way, it was you that he had on his mind when he was praying that prayer. It was you and me. He was looking at all of us that were dead in trespasses and sins. And he was praying basically, Father, if there's no other way, it, it, can you find some other way besides this, the agony of the cross and that, that you could redeem these people? But then he came to this point. He said, but Father, if there is no other way, not my will. In other words, Lord, not what my flesh wants, but your will be done. You see what he's doing? He is giving God permission in the area of his dominion. Jesus did not have to die on the cross. But he had to make a choice. The only way you and I could be saved would be for Jesus to die on the cross. He didn't have to die on the cross, but if he doesn't die on the cross, then we couldn't be saved. We'd be in here today dragging a lamb or something trying to cover our sins for another little while. But what Jesus did for us on the cross didn't cover our sins. It did away with our sins. Amen destroyed him and he's agonizing in prayer lord not my will but your will be done and here it is the two most most important wives there are other reasons and we'll deal with those as we go along this month but the number one reason why jesus prayed was that communion and that fellowship with the heavenly father that, that's, that, that is established. And folks, if you don't pray, you don't have fellowship with God. I'm sorry. 
I, I know I know some people will go days without praying, weeks without praying, maybe months without praying, and all of a sudden they'll hit a crisis and they'll cry out, Oh, God, help me, God, help me, God, help me. I'm not saying that God won't help you. He's a merciful God, and, and many times His grace has reached to us when we certainly didn't deserve it. In fact, that's what grace is. But but if you want if you want the kind of power that I talked to you about a while ago, there's got to be fellowship with God. There's got to be communion with God. How many of you understand this morning? If you don't ever talk to your spouse, your marriage is not going to get better. It's going to get worse. Amen. There's going to be a separation, a division. Prayer is fellowship and communion with God. But the the the. The reason why Jesus prayed and the reason why you and I need to pray is, first of all, for fellowship and communion, but secondly, so that we can invite the Heavenly Father into the area of our dominion. And I'm convinced this morning that the most important thing that I can get across to you today is the the importance, and, and I'll go further than that and say the necessity of you and I reaching the point where we pray, Father, not my will, but your will be done. Your kingdom come. Your will be done in every area of our life. That's what making Jesus Lord of your life really is. I've said this before and I say it again. If he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. You need to get off the fence today. A lot of people are straddling the fence and wonder why they're miserable trying to serve the Lord. You'll always be miserable as long as you try to straddle the fence. As long as you try to hold on to the world with one hand and try to hold on to the Lord with the other. As long as you just try to use God as a fire escape or, a, or, or an emergency uh, 911 call. Uh, as long as you do that, you'll be miserable. If you really want to know the place of peace, the place of power, the place of protection, the place of provision, the place of the wonder of his presence, then say to him, Lord, I give you permission in the area of my dominion, not my will, but your will be done. Oh, hallelujah. I'm closing in just a moment. But in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20, there's a verse of Scripture that really concerns me. You've seen it illustrated. Artist Hunt put it on canvas, and it became a, it became a masterpiece. And many of you have seen it. Maybe you have a picture of it in your own home of Jesus standing at the door knocking. Have you seen that? Have you seen that? That's from Revelation 3.20. It says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him and he with me. Look who that's written to. That's written to the church of Laodicea. Now, I know it's been used as a, as a sermon to sinners, and you can make that application. And, and it's good illustration, and there's truth in it. But that verse of Scripture is written to the church. And most Bible theologians, and especially those who specialize in eschatology, believe that the Laodicean church age is the church age that we're living in right now. The church age, the last one before the return of Jesus, where we are right now. 
and you see Jesus knocking on the door. You know what he's seeking for? He's seeking for permission to come into your life. He's seeking for permission to come into that area of your dominion. He's seeking for permission to come into that area that you've had shut off from him. He's seeking for permission to go into that little room where you've got your hurts and your, your, your feelings stored up you don't want anybody to get into. He's seeking to come into that little area, that little closet you've got closed off with, with those people that you refuse to forgive and those issues that you refuse to let go of. He's asking for permission to come into your life and to come into that back room where you've got hidden away somewhere under the bed your secret sins. And, and the little things that you keep going back to. You get victory for a while, but you go back because you've never made Jesus Lord of your life. He's seeking this morning for permission to come into your heart and your life. He's seeking for you to turn to him and say, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. Stand with me, please, all over the building. I want the prayer team to come quickly and those that are helping us, board members and staff members, and small group leaders. My heart's heavy today because I realize that we're living in a day and time when there's a lot of false doctrine out there. It's telling you that everything's okay. You can live any way you want to. God will overlook it. That Calvary takes care of past, present, and future. You don't have to worry about a thing. Calvary, I would never take away from the power of the cross or the blood of Jesus. But God doesn't violate the area of your dominion. God's not going to forgive sins that you don't repent of. And he will not be the Lord of your life until you make that surrender, that complete surrender, until you say to him, not my will, but yours be done. Why is this so important, preacher? Well, let me tell you, if you don't say that to God now, there will come a day when God will say, not my will, but yours be done. And I'm here to tell you this morning, I don't want God to say that to me. I don't want my will to be done. My will is what's messed me up. And every mistake I've ever made, every sin I've ever committed, every failure I've ever had, it's been my will. My will. I want my will out of the way. And here's why. I want it so much for all of you today is because once you make that complete surrender and once you say, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. Once you make him the Lord of your life and give him permission to come in and have the area of your dominion, once you do that. And once he comes in to sup with you, to fellowship with you, and he's on board your boat from that moment forward, you're guaranteed that you will make it through victorious to the other side. He'll bring you through every storm. 
He'll bring you through every trial. He'll bring you through every struggle. He'll bring you through every battle with victory. With victory. Jesus said, in this world you'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. I've overcome the world. If Jesus is in your boat, you're going to make it to the other side. Hallelujah. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Oh, Holy Spirit, do your work now in the next few moments of this service. I'm asking you to come. If you're unsaved, come and give your heart to Jesus. If you're away from the Lord, come back home. Come on. I'm asking you this morning, if you have needs in your life, you want somebody to pray with you, we have people here that will be glad to. Pray for the healing of your body. Pray for deliverance. Pray for victory. Pray for Holy Spirit baptism. Pray for a situation that you may be dealing with, your marriage, your home, your finances, your education, whatever it may be. We'll be glad to join you in faith and believe God. If you have a need like that, I want to invite you to come. The altar's already open. Come on, you can start moving this way if you'd like to pray. There are many others of you standing here today. The Holy Spirit's dealing with your heart right now. You know that this message was for you. You know it was for you. You know that God's calling you right now to give him permission in the area of your dominion. You know that he's waiting. Jesus is knocking at your heart this morning, waiting for you to just say, come on in, Jesus. Come on in. The door's open. Every door's open. Every closet, every room. Be the president. Take charge here. Live here. I'm yours. I'll make you Lord of my life. If that's you, come on, step out wherever you may be. Come quickly. And then there may be many others of you that just want to come this morning and say, Preacher, before I leave this house, I'd like to spend just a few minutes in fellowship with God. I'd just like to fellowship with my Heavenly Father. I'd just like to come this morning and tell Him again that I love Him. I'd just like to say to Jesus before I leave this morning, Thank you for making the right decision in the Garden of Gethsemane. Thank you for paying the price on Calvary. Thank you for forgiving me my, my sins. Thank you for writing my name on the Lamb's. If that's you and you'd like to come, come on. The altar's open from all over the house, wherever you may be. Come on, let's pray today before we leave. God bless you as you pray.